you're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about albums that we think are unsung classics, and then you guys tell us if you're right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Hi, you're listening to the Unsung Podcast. I am your host, Mark Fraser, and I am joined by the two biggest subscribers to that nudie website, Chris Mr. Skin. Mr. Skin, that's the one. <laughs> that is the voice of a man that's got to be up at 6am. Check yes. that out, folks. <laughs> Nothing but maximum effort. I, Every I week, week in, week out, regardless of uh, other commitments. I'm trying to think of what I say, and I just, yeah. So what Mark's getting at is that a moment ago, uh, I whispered into the microphone, my God, it's full of stars. And then challenged these guys to name the two most famous places that quote is contained therein. Uh, David, uh, I'm guessing, thanks to Google, uh, managed to find out that it's from the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey mm-hmm. uh, uh, near the end. You don't need to remember anything anymore. You just need to be good at Google. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, interesting. I was reading an essay this, this week about a famous philosopher who reckons that technology is making us more stupid. Anyway, that doesn't seem that interesting. As a bit, I've uh, I've started spelling things incorrectly. Uh, I was used to be. I always used to be top of my class in spelling. I've always prided myself up, uh, with you know fantastic grammar. <laughs> that's exactly what uh, I was about to say. Uh, Hello, uh, my name is David. I'm good at the words. That was some irony there for you. Um, Massively no, I, like now, sometimes when I'm not uh, typing on my phone and I'm just typing. You're struggling uh, even, even to I know, speak I can't really. Right I've had a long fucking week or year. But like I've started spelling things really oddly. Like I did tortured with a CH earlier. Typed it out and then I was like, "What the fuck?" That's uh, that's just more about your music taste, though. That I wrote tortured. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. I I think it. I've just my brain has become reliant on autocorrect. I don't know. I just find it really weird. I, I've started doing it more and more. And I think I think we're going to start spelling things in that kind of meme, <laughs> sort of puppy meme fashion, mm-hmm. pretty soon. As yeah, well. not even phonetically, but you like know, just like a uh, doggo. That kind of thing. Anyway, mm. sorry. So, my God, it's full of stars. 2001 A Space Odyssey, as Dave found out via Google, and his stupid illiterate self. Mm-hmm. Self-proclaimed stupid illiterate self. And, oh, yeah, I'm happy with that. And uh, <laughs> for uh, the guilty adolescents among us, during the era of dial-up internet, there was a website called Rob's Celebs. Uh, which was basically screenshots of all your top actors and actresses in the nip. Uh, in the movies and may have logged onto that once or twice uh, as part of my research into naked actresses <laughs> <laughs> sorry there <laughs> may come up with a better excuse there um, but uh, yeah and that was every time you opened it, it it funnily enough went my god it's full of stars and so when you say that and you get that knowing look from someone you know that they too uh, touched themselves or were a massive Stanley Kubrick fan. Um, interesting addendum to that. David, how do you spell addendum? <laughs> uh, yeah, a chum rum. Interesting addendum to that. Apparently Rob died. Rob of Rob celebs. <laughs> Presumably masturbated himself to death. Had <laughs> <laughs> a massive heart attack or something. Or uh, some kind of coronary failure because I picture him as being this giant fat man on a tiny swivel chair in a basement. Um but yeah, Rob died because one day logged on, it was gone, and there was like a commemorative Rob post. <laughs> it's like, sorry, folks, there'll be no more screenshots of uh, Kate Beckinsale because mm. Rob's deed. Those were the days. Yeah. Are you uh, supposed to masturbate to that news? I think Mr. Skin had him offed. Yeah, it might have been. Because I'm pretty sure he was whipping the pictures off Mr. Skin and then putting them up for free. Yeah, which is. You're undercutting your rival significantly there. <laughs> just, just yawning on. <laughs> <laughs> this is a top quality show already. Um, uh, I've got about three things to say about the album today as well, so we might as well pad this part of the <laughs> programme out. David, he's wearing these kind of 
I, I like that colour of pink, that jumper. You, you wear a lot of pink and purple. I, I know, I did sure. my, I've, because we've got a smaller washing machine in my house, so I've actually started doing, like, my washes by colour. Like, nobody actually does it. It's got a really shallow um, drum cylinder, drum, yeah. I, I kind of imagine It looks that- like a normal size a washing machine and then you open it and put clothes in it and you're like oh that's the back wall already what do you think all the rest of the space inside it's used for uh, well I think it might be mice <laughs> going by the rest of the kitchen <laughs> <laughs> it's just a fucking they have, they have an entire metropolis yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a borrower <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. my god it's full of mice <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I hung up my washing the other day and it was like Oh, I own a lot of pink. Maybe Dave used to just have one red jumper and loads of white clothes, and now he just. I mean, that would have been a cheaper way of doing it, but uh, I seem to have bought them all. I think if I was a if I was a listener to the show, which obviously I'm not, um, but if I was a listener, in fact, I don't think any of us. Are, mm-hmm. But if I was a listener to the show uh, and I had to picture David, it would be in one giant combination of flesh colours. I do have. <laughs> I've got pink socks. I've got pink pants. I've got. I couldn't see those. Just for the. Not, he is wearing, I'm not wearing them today, but I've got pink socks, pink pants. I've got pants. several pink t shirts. I've got pink shirts. I've got pink hoodie and two pink jumpers. I don't think I have any pink shorts or jeans or trousers, though. You must have pink shorts. So I don't have any anything pink to go. I've got. Mm, nah, I don't. Well, you should have told us that for Christmas. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Damn it. But that, what that screams to me is a man at ease with his sexuality. It's probably a man it genuinely in, is or a man in denial. Mm, why not both? <laughs> <laughs> At ease with his denial. <laughs> Touche. Uh, I just look, pink's a great color, but I actually think this is uh, off red, off, like a pastel red. Well, I really, salmon. I really like that. that. Yeah, it's kind of that kind of vivid salmony pink that mm-hmm. is pleasing on the eye. Thanks. And you have a haircut as well, which is also pleasing on the eye. Oh, getting all the compliments here. Yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah, you weren't I here should, last I week, should be so. off more often. <laughs> Come back to nice, generous no. things. Mark, on the other hand, Drab. I like your trainers. Thanks, man. They're new. They're my driving shoes. They're pretty cool. I usually wear boots, but I can't drive in them. So I wear trainers when I'm driving. Right. It means I can feel the pedals through my you know, soles. So yeah. you're Speaking. getting pink shorts and you're getting slippers. <laughs> if we driving make, slippers. If we make it another 51 weeks <laughs> or no, 49 weeks now. What am I getting? It's been three weeks. That's what I'm getting. You're getting nothing. A new, a new jotter. Nothing again. You'll get out. <laughs> a new jotter. A plaid shirt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do need one of those because there's at least one day in the week that I don't have a backup. And you're wearing that right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're wearing right now. I'm wearing a green shirt right yeah, now. Yeah, it's, it's not, not plaid though. Uh-uh. You want to replace this? It's backup day. <laughs> yeah. I could just give you this and a Sharpie and you could draw <laughs> a grid on it. You can colour in every second box. Yeah. Could do that in the pub. That would keep you busy on the way down to Birmingham tomorrow. <laughs> on the plane, what's that guy doing? Why is he cutting on that shot? <laughs> <laughs> Shh, I forgot to get my Christmas present. This is the least I could do. <laughs> uh, so you join us on the night of a, a big vote in the UK Parliament, following a big vote in the UK Parliament. Obviously, this is going to go out after the vote. Um, it's happening in the background as we speak. They're currently voting on a vote of no confidence in uh, Theresa May right now. Our government, not Theresa May. She's survived hers. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The entire... Um, last government. night, she got her boss handed to her uh, in a record-breaking... Her lady boss. Uh, yeah, like the, the biggest defeat in modern history, which was actually pretty hilarious to watch because it was way beyond even the most ridiculous estimates. Yeah. I I got a message uh, from my pal who I studied politics with, and I I don't really see her that often, but we just occasionally message each other about Facebook, and I just got a message from her last night going, "What the actual fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I know. That's constantly being the exclamation for the last two and a half years." I have a similar, what the actual yeah, fuck? I have a similar relationship with my dad, uh, but did manage to send him the phrase "oofed" mm. last night. Um, well, my mum uh, very rarely texts uh, because she can't really text or use anything digital. But on the the morning after the Brexit vote, I just got a text from my mum just saying we're really fucked now. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think so. That's why I'm kind of mentioning it because for those people that listen to this from far afield, which I think is getting respectable, we're yeah, doing yes, a, doing a right, review yeah. of you mm-hmm. out there. Hello. Estonia, we're doing a right Malaysia, Macedonia the other week, Macedonia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, Finland. Yep. So yeah, for, for you folks, it's just taking a reporting from the front lines of absurdity that has been British. 
I noticed, uh, is it D'Angelo's sitting on 64.36? Yeah. Has it gone? Oh, it was score. at 100% for a while there. Yeah, yeah it was. Uh-huh. nah. Me and some other people made sure it didn't You're get that. Disgrace. <laughs> um, but uh, that is, for the purposes of our foreign listeners, pretty close to the to the amount with which Scotland rejected the <laughs> fucking debacle that is Brexit. So as three Scottish persons reporting from here... We are, as per, being ragdolled around uh, against our will. So it's even more bizarre for us to watch because the vast majority of people I know are hugely against it. But yeah. we did vote to be better together with the rest of the UK. We so did. And as, as can't has been argue with that. that so was, far. We saw this coming. Was, this is the whole point. Yeah, that was the, whole, the best argument. Why would you vote to be separate? So that if you do vote in something, it actually matters. And as usual, it doesn't. But anyway, we could literally go on about that for fucking hours. Um, We're not going on. No. If there's one thing we're good at in Scotland, other than eating chips, is keeping them on our shoulder. So do we have an album this week? Nah, we're just talking about Brexit. Right. Good stuff. (laughs) That was why we didn't announce this last week. (laughs) (laughs) We are talking about an album that shares three letters with Brexit, though. Bronxer. Bronxer. Totally unrehearsed. I mean, I'm here all week. Yeah, so this week we are talking about Bronx, the, bro- the Bronx by the Bronx. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the Bronx, the Bronx by, by the, the Bronx, Bronx or the Bronx by the Bronx. 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 No, their new album's called V. Is it? As in five. Bronx. <laughs> Mm. That's what it says on the cover, Bronx. <laughs> the Bronx. So everyone by the Bronx is called the Bronx, and we're talking about the Bronx. You can work it. We're not even going to name any of the songs. You can just guess what one of the four albums <laughs> we're talking about. Hey, we're talking about the one that was released in 2003, which is the first records. They've been a band since 2002, so, you know, this was a pretty fucking quick turnaround for our records. Yeah, plus their their origin story is the, the kind stuff that kind of weird, weird Hollywood motivational movies are made of. It's like, oh, hey, we played our first gig and we got a top manager. Mm. And, oh, hey, we've played a dozen gigs. We've got a deal with uh, Universal. Mm-hmm. Or, um, yeah, fucking pricks. Are you jealous? Uh, hugely. <laughs> hugely. <laughs> of course. Like 99.9% of musicians are jealous. I'm not just jealous of that. Like the, the Bronx, after getting signed to Island Def Jam after their 12th fucking show, yeah. were then allowed to go and release their first album on their own, on their own label. label and just come back when they felt they were ready. Yeah. What do they have on the executives at Island Def Jam to be able to leverage such a glorious set of terms? I reckon what happened is that. Uh, they were probably negotiating the deal and one of the guys went, do you know what, I really need a mariachi band for my daughter's wedding. They're like, by the way, we can do we that can for do you. We can do that. <laughs> Is the money good? Yeah, we'll do whatever. That's fine. And if you let us do that, then we'll find your record label. So yeah, the Bronx also masquerade quite literally as Mariachi El Bronx, mm-hmm. which is a mariachi band loosely yeah. based on the format of punk rock, very loosely. Yeah, they are. They're also pretty good live. Yeah. Well, I mean, both bands are really good live. Mariachi El Bronx are way more fun because of the nature of the music. Um, the Bronx are pretty devastating live. Bronx is a pretty fun band. It's not too bad. Yeah, no. Yeah, but they don't take Mariachi themselves El too Bronx seriously. Is a lot different kind of fun, I suppose. Um, I mean, there are very many different types of fun you can have. Yeah. Is that just a broader statement about life? Yeah, but the, the best type of fun you can have is wearing a very wide-brimmed hat. I'm playing a massive guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not going to disagree with that. Yeah. I've not tried it. I don't want to knock the it. The wider the brim, the more vigor and vim. Oh, yeah. hey, that, that, was, that was pretty good. Hello, dear friends. We apologize for interrupting your regularly scheduled programming, but we come bearing awful, awful news. We need chairs. We do need chairs. <laughs> I forgot about that. Every single every single week, I think we're coming on here and saying we need this, we need that, and it's true. I mean, our studio is not complete because, frankly, we don't have a studio. We have Chrissy's living room, and we've been getting all kind of weird stuff like squeaky chairs and weird electrical noises. You know, last week, this week, 
probably going to hear next week as well and every other week until you just give us some goddamn money so please do that Any anything helps a couple of quid five or ten or fifty quid a hundred quid if you feel really flush but yeah just just help uh, help help your boys out help your boys out yeah <laughs> I like that shout out Um, so, uh, Mark. Yes. Why did you choose this? And first of all, Mark was really worried that you folks would desert us en masse because we'd put two Mark albums back to back. I mean, the still might be, I still might be proven right on that one. <laughs> I, well, I don't think anybody notices who brings forward the album. So this is Mark's second in a yes, row. Yes, and I picked this record because it's one of the best albums I've ever written, basically. Okay. Interesting. Care to uh, expand on that? No. Or do you want to just that's it, we're oh, done. That's it. wrap okay. it there? Cool. We're done. <laughs> so vote now on the Facebook page. Uh, no, I think um, you can totally see why a major record label would be interested in this band straight away, right? They've got they've got that kind of 70s punk energy. They kind of borrow a guitar tones and sounds from the 60s. I've got a lot of that like, 80s hardcore attitude as well. They are kind of, the, and, and they've got a lot of pop punk in them as well. I think from the nineties. So. I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to say, uh, I agree with all those comments, but I don't see how that makes it sense that a, a label would be a major label would be interested. Well, think about it, right? We've got to think about it's 2003. Yeah. 2002. Yeah, but they don't uh-huh. like Bronx. To their credit, I'm not knocking them, but Bronx don't sound particularly like anything that's big at that moment. Yeah, totally. They don't sound like pop punk. They don't sound like emo. They don't sound like at the driving massively. Although there is a track in this album mm-hmm. that does. So, in terms of a major label, suddenly, I mean, they're a very competent band. But in terms of a major label picking them up, in terms of contemporary trends, I don't think they actually do make that. Yeah, much I was sense. trying to remember what was happening in sort of alternative music back then and I mean you had fucking Good Charlotte and Blink-182 Finch were pink was Finch punk rock. then as well Finch were about then but they yeah. they didn't really get that big sp- yeah maybe they did I don't know yeah, they, they tried were, to break out and they then were they never big. really there were a few of those kind of emo bands yeah. like did pr- Funeral for a yeah. Friend and Under stuff Alexis on Fire yeah, yeah. But, so I, I just I mean I, I, I'm but this not, is way more hardcore and straight down the line yeah, and I'm not disputing what you said I just dispute the, the suggestion that it then makes it obvious that they were picked up by a major. I actually think it's pretty interesting they were picked up by a major and the way they were treated by the major is one of those rare occasions where you're like, shit man, maybe there was like an A&R person there that really just did care, mm. saw a good band and was like, this is a good band, we should sign them. And that's coming for me, you yeah. know, King Cynic. Yeah. But they, it seems like they were picked up. Well, I've read interviews they were good. with Matt, you know. How do you say his name, by the way? Uh, let's, all, let's each take a swing at it. I I'm going to go Matt. for Cochran. <laughs> I thought it was just Cochran. Do you want to spell it? Uh, no. Because <laughs> if you do spell it, it's going to sound like you've misspelled Cochran. Yeah, Matt. Matt. Cochran. C-A-U-G-H-T-H-R-A-N. There's way too many consonants in there. He doesn't need half of those. Yeah, it looks it looks Welsh. Yeah, let's call him Matt. Let's call him Matt. Ca- let's call let's him- just call him Matt. I though. mean, I think one of the interesting things about this band is like they were spotted by the same person who... Was the manager of American Hi-Fi You were a huge pop-punk band at the time You had that song Flavor of the Week, right? Which was a huge thing at the time Yeah, they were pretty shit though Yeah, they were a fucking shit band <laughs> no, no denying it Nowhere near as good um, as America, uh, All one. American Rejects Yeah much better band <laughs> but uh, we've talked about this before man like it was an era when money was getting thrown at rock bands right left and centre they obviously played a fucking killer show in front of somebody who mattered I wonder what show it was that the, the manager from American Hi-Fi was at it because I was trying to find that out I was like it was their first gig mm-hmm. it's like it's a hell of a gig to get for your first gig is supporting an, at a show when people like that are there mm-hmm. not yeah, bad I suppose that's what kind of happens in LA though you choose the right show the right people will be there well Maybe it's a 15 break. years ago I mean they're a band Early on Got a lot of breaks And I'm not Yeah I, I like them and So he's, I'm not pissed he's, on them he's um, You know he said Their third ever gig Was at the Trabador 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 yeah. And like There were eight labels there Yeah he said it was uh, Full of all these old guys And he was like And he didn't know What the guys? fuck he was doing He was like I think I've broken my wrist I'm like covered in sweat and blood hey, What the fuck am I doing But you know Let's just you know Go for it 
this is the area when at the drive and we're really setting audiences alight or the, obviously they were just about to break up at this point but the live performance was legendary and a lot of bands were copying that I mean I don't know if you remember this and I'm sorry to bring this up but in the early days this was r- around roughly, roughly around about the same time Lost Profits get signed and before they released their first EP What are they famous for? There's something They're, fa- they're famous for uh, the singer was also in Steps. Yeah, that guy. He's that guy. Right. And then the, the guys left the band and started another band with Jeff Rickley from Thursday. They're also famous for that. Sometimes you say names too fast. <laughs> it's not my house, not just not. Everybody knows. It's fine. Um, okay, so um, we're shoehorned Lost Profits into this conversation. Because I, I remember very clearly at the time, because a lot of my, because this was early 2000s, one of my friends, one of the guys I went to college with, he's a huge Lost Profits fan, and every single like review or article you read about them, like in magazines or whatever, always compared their live performance to At the Driving. Really? And yeah, always our initial live show was apparently was compared to having the same kind of chaos, and a lot of bands were doing that at the That's time. That's so weird. Yeah, which they totally. I mean, I seen them live in Ozfest two thousand and two, and they were nothing like that band. They got bottled off stage. Who did? So, Lost Profits Alright okay But I also seen uh, The Bronx In 2003 When this record Just came out I seen them supporting Avenged Sevenfold In the QMU With Lost Profits And Think Wise Against And they were By far and away The best band of the night They were on first And they were just They just fucking destroyed it I'd never seen anything Like it in my life At that point They were incredible I think that's probably Quite an appealing thing In the early 2000s When everyone's Into like You know Heavy rock music And they're looking For the next big thing yeah, I mean, I guess there was already a backlash forming against some of that absolute pish that was everywhere. I kind of wonder, like, there's something about the Bronx that sort of always reminded me a little bit of Amen. Mm. Like the kind of immediacy and the sort of straight ahead. Yeah, yeah. they had a bit more... Of a bluesy sound to yeah, them, traditional and, bluesy sound, but I, they, yeah, yeah so they were like a more punk, less metal Amen. Yeah, I sort of wonder if maybe a little bit of like Amen's sort of, well, I mean, you say that, I don't think Amen were particularly commercially successful, but they, well, they were, that's the thing, like, they got, they, their first record, uh, I, think, I think their first demo actually got them, their first demo got them attention in the, of Roadrunner Records, and they recorded their first album for Roadrunner with Ross Robinson, and then they could draw from Roadrunner and picked up by Virgin. Their second album became For Your Parents. It's got that huge song on the Price of Reality, which was like a massive, yeah, massive radio, radio, radio and video hit. Yeah, yeah. But um, if I if I rem- they, remember they, from research in a past episode, though, I don't think Amen sold very well at all. They did not. No. Yeah, they got dropped after that second record, and then they fell out with Roadrunner and told everybody never to buy anything from Roadrunner, including their own first album. And then Virgin have never released that second record again. It's not like you can't get Amen's second second record on Spotify. So like they, that's a band that sort of the opposite happened. They worked hard as fuck and came out and got kind of tagged two years earlier as a new metal band. Yeah, they did, yeah. Uh, Got the opportunity and then got totally fucked over by two record labels. Whereas then the, the Bronx come along a couple of years later and get the same sort of opportunity, but then totally make the most of it and use that momentum um and it's it's interesting you know considering that they are maybe kind of similar and one of them was maybe just came out a couple of years too early and didn't get the same breaks mm-hmm. i think that's probably accurate but again i can totally see why it would be a bit baffling as to why a band like this gets signed to a major label but it happened there was a lot of money getting around at the mm-hmm. same the time they got on some great tours played with some awesome bands very early on too yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no getting away from it that uh, the Bronx definitely had uh, Lock on their side. the rub of the green. Yeah. yeah, when it came to that kind of stuff, I, I, th- I think an interesting question then would be, given that they have five albums now, I think just one just out recently, why the first one? Because I noticed that the second one especially won quite a lot of accolades. Yeah, that was a f- that, the second one was a major label debut. It's got a lot of good songs on it. Um, it's voted album of the year, and um, what was it Metal Hammer? One of the one of the the rock press mm-hmm. voted it album of the year, and Spin had it high as well. It's a great record. It's got a lot of good songs on it. Um, White Guilt is the last song's really really good. So 
think uh, Shitty Future and History, History Stranglers were both singles on that record and I think they got quite a lot of play I, I kind of felt the second album was overproduced to be honest it uh, is a bit I think there's something quite yeah just overcooked about it it tries to be a bit too compressed and a bit too high impact and the, it just seems like it tries a bit too hard it's like, it was produced by Michael Benihorn right who'd, who'd done a lot of stuff which was nothing like the Bronx Chili's um, Violent Femmes Soul Asylum Muller Manson Occult Fuel Corn Fuel That kind of thing I wonder how much of that Was down to the label Giving them the big You know In the ear speech Of like Oh we should team you up With so and so And so and so Possibly But Gilby Clark Was also involved In the recording And he did the first EP And the first record yeah, He recorded it in his kitchen though, yeah. With like A low level of expectation mm-hmm. And that's it sounds And he like, was probably Just out his fucking Been on coke The whole time oh, anyway. yeah. So you know I mean the band Apparently are Fans as well I think they parted hard, certainly, to begin yeah. with. Yeah. Like Converge went on tour with them and Mastodon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I, I believe there was a fair amount of uh, the powder kicking about. Just listen to the Mastodon drummer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he certainly, he certainly wasn't alone. So say first-hand mm-hmm. accounts. Anyway, that to one side. Um, the second album, I actually don't find any of the tracks particularly stand out. Uh, for me, the best album, aside from that, was the third one. Is it Knife Man? Knife Man. Yeah, the there's a couple album. of yeah. belters on yeah. that third album. Rock, uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, Past Lives yeah. as well. Bloods was a single on that. Young Bloods uh, also Spanish and Six pretty good, and so was the last song Digital Leash. Um, but n- no, none of those two records had the consistency of the first one. No. Things get a bit weird after that. I mean, I really like the fourth record, uh, but it's, it's a bit It's a different. It's a totally different. I think his voice is probably fucked by this point. I think, is, is it the voice or is it that they're trying to... Because the Bronx are a band of... I, I don't want to say diminishing returns because they've not diminished so badly, but they've never recaptured the immediacy of the first album. Definitely not. And they're I, not on a major label anymore, so they've got nothing really to prove. Yeah, you know? and it, I can't tell if maybe that's their attempt to sort of diversify and see if they can rekindle some sort of growth somewhere else yeah. by being more melodic. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it na- necessarily complements the band, though. It's fine. It's not bad. It's just at times it kind of drifts towards, <sighs> I don't know. It's a bit more pop punky. Yeah, it's a bit more sure. MOR, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like a lot of songs now. Um, uh, did you listen to the new one? Yeah, I listened to it um, yesterday and on the way in again. It's, it feels like it's trying to meet the fourth record and the and the first record kind of halfway almost. Uh, yeah, it's, that's that's actually probably a pretty fair assessment. It starts well, like yeah. it's, it's got it, the first track and it's a belter, and mm-hmm. it's like when I'd listen, like when I heard that as the the opening gambit, I was like, oh, that's, this is this could be interesting. But then it it just again it it starts to peter away towards just stuff that's a lot more uh, yeah, I don't know, unremarkable. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you see the Bronx as him, having sprouted from? Because, I mean, there's, let me throw like some names that really come across. And I think it's also some of the, the reasons that I like them because they don't sound too much like any one band, mm-hmm. but there are elements of what they do that invite comparisons. A clear one for me would be Hot Snakes. The directness, the the chunkiness, the kind of the maximal production of the guitars. Obviously, like you said, in terms of references from the past, the Stooges are yeah, a, a common reference point. Mm-hmm. 
bits of that. I think especially when they tried to do stuff that was a bit more anthemic, there's actually one track, I think it's in the fourth album, which sounds like they're just wholesale ripping uh, a fucked up riff. Fucked up not were they not around at the same time? They're not coming around at the same time. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Maybe maybe very slightly after or like the first album. In terms of like some slightly more not not obscure but nuanced references, they remind me of an era in the history of hot water music. Around about caution, that yeah, album. That's my favourite year of hot water. Yeah, it's like, it's yeah. where they're a bit more gruff and a bit more full on, mm-hmm. a bit more punky. There's less of that sort of almost like folk punk. There's less of that happening. Yeah. It's, a, it's a bit more energetic, more hooky as well. Yeah, more mm-hmm. hooky. I also thought they loosely. I'm not saying they sound like it, but uh, white light, white heat, white trash by Social Distortion. Absolutely, I think Social Distortion's a big touchstone for these yeah, guys, that, especially that. on the guitar sounds. Absolutely, and I, th- I think there's there's elements of that. So just trying to like pinpoint where they were sort of coming from. I know that's I okay. also I think something that stands out, and especially with Matt's vocals, is maybe non-American influences and a more Scandinavian sort of line sometimes, and also that sort of maybe even helicopters type vibe. And then also a heavy refused influence, uh, like refused sort of minus the, the politics. Really, I like I get a lot of that in his vocal lines. I think yeah, I think like you're saying about helicopters and some of the other Scandinavian music that kind of orbits that not so much death and roll but punk and roll mm-hmm. yeah you, like you, Turbo you, Negro and stuff yeah, like that yeah exactly yeah. you're taking punk music but you're kind of adding that kind of rock and roll vibe to it I, I mean they're, they're obviously from LA and you can hear a lot of like elements of the LA scene mm-hmm. in their music some of the some of the stuff in later albums especially does kind of touch on some of the kind of Dirty Air Guns and Roses mm-hmm. stuff uh, there's moments of I mean I would even I know you guys would probably think I'm a, a maniac but I would say like ACDC um, nah don't think so. And I, can, I can hear that, yeah. One heavy that, blues rock. Mm. One that maybe will seem ridiculous at first until you actually listen to it because people have different impressions of the band. But uh, the Eliminator album by ZZ Top. fucking love that record right, so yeah so I, I mean you're familiar with that album which means that you'll appreciate that it's when people think it's easy top there's the, the hokey early corny sort of slightly countryish naff kind of easy top <laughs> then there's the later later cheesy dad rock easy top but there, there oh. is this period that, that's actually yeah they kind of nailed it pretty driving and it, yeah it's a bit it's a bit slicker it's a bit more mm. cool and I would say cool ZZ Top you're talking about but you know what I mean It's it has that energy of that do you period. know the ZZ Top fact the one yeah tell me uh, so obviously ZZ Top were famous for the beards the beards there's mm-hmm. three members in ZZ Top the drummer who doesn't have a beard is called Frank Beard that's the ZZ Top fact the there ZZ you go top fact. so continue sorry but they're also big Trump guys aren't they Oh, I mean, probably, I don't know. I don't follow the politics of ZZ Top anymore, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> I can get on board with what you're saying about the Scandinavian thing as well. Uh, right, well, did you guys come up with any next eye? Yeah. It wasn't hard, was it? Nah. We've already spoken about Gilbert Clark, so should we jump in? Can I just uh, interrupt you there? No. I, you have unfairly besmirched ZZ Top as pro-Trumpers. Are they not? Uh, they are not. In fact, they fired their opening act uh, on tour for being pro-Trump. 
so they're well, they distinctly go. anti-Trump. You know what? I'm happy to be wrong about that. Yeah, me yeah. too. Oh, yeah, I'm happy you are wrong. Yeah. Uh, let's Sweet. get back. Back from ZZ Top Island once again. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay, well, we'll go to the Nexus. The Nexus then, yeah. It's the Unsung Podcast. Dave Grohl Nexus. Need to find a way to connect the show to that guy. For playing in Nirvana. To hanging with Obama. He knows lots of folk. Is Fritz sick of hearing that yet? Fritz was sick of hearing that the second week we played it. <laughs> he was. Fritz has probably stopped listening now because of it. Probably. He's probably like spends his whole time triggered waiting on it. He hasn't donated any money for a while, so. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing else to prove. He's had yeah. his episodes. But he's, he's... We didn't set a goal beyond that, did we? No. And nobody else has taken us up on it. So. Yeah, but if the thing we'd have to do next is not something I want to do, we'd have to probably. Don't even say what it is. Man. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. On you go, uh, Chris. Right, so. Your first. The Bronx is so frustratingly easy to come up with next eye that I'd have four. Okay. Oh, for fuck's sake. Well, just choose your best one. Very quickly. Next eye, Jormovic. Jormovic, the original drummer in the Bronx, mm. uh, left the Bronx to go and play with Eagles of Death Metal. Dave Groves in a video for the Eagles of Death Metal. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, Joey Castillo, the drummer from Queens of Stone Age, is now the drummer in the Bronx. Mm. Yep. Dave Grohl was the... Previous drummer in Queens of Stone Age. Uh, the Bronx played Black Flag in the uh, 2007 film What We Do Is Secret, which was a biopic about uh, the frontman of The Germs. Uh, they played the song Police Stuff, by the way, by Black Flag. Um, Darby Crash, the singer of The Germs, died. Uh, also a member of The Germs was Pat Smear, who went on to play in Nirvana and Foo Fighters. Uh, uh, but the actual Nexus, Nexus number four, mm-hmm. uh, my favourite Nexus, is that Mariachi L. Bronx and Scully D did the theme tune for a cartoon on uh, Adult Swim called Aqua Teen Hunger Force, which is actually a really pretty good, yeah, cartoon. Pretty good cartoon. And uh, mm-hmm. Josh Holm. This isn't the link, but Josh Holm did the first season theme tune of that. And that show has featured a number of guests doing voices, uh, including Ted Nugent, Andrew WK, Glenn Danzig, Josh Holm, obviously, Chuck D, all of which we could have got to Dave Grohl. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll go with Patti Smith, who was on the final season. Patti Smith sang on the song Ebo the Letter from New Adventures in Hi-Fi, the R.E.M. album. Grossly underrated REM album and the only one I own. A good, it's a good record. Yeah. Uh, Peter Buck of REM uh, once had Nirvana sleeping in his front room and on his couch after they played a show in 1991 in Atlanta, as Dave Grohl fondly recalled in an interview once to Who Gives a Shit. Great. Yeah. David. Good. David good selection. Uh, well, David Hidalgo Jr. played. Drums for the Bronx. Hidalgo. Uh, from 2016 to 2018. Also was in Chuck Reagan's touring band. Still is in Chuck uh, Reagan's touring yeah, band. Yeah, mm-hmm. drummer in Social Distortion, blah, blah, blah. Uh, his dad, David Hidalgo, non-junior, uh, <laughs> is, of course, the drummer in Los Lobos. Oh, very famous um, American Tex-Mex psyche Quentin Tarantino. Band. Is that where we're going? Well... Are you thinking that they are the band in, from Dust Till Dawn? Are they not? They're not. Mm. That's uh, um, Tito and Tarantula. Mm. Is it, but I also thought that. Yeah. I was going to go down that direction, but I was incorrect. So I wonder where we got that from. I know. I don't know why Both I thought us. that. Mm. It's but like Los a, Lobos, a, Ber- a Berenstain Bears moment there. But Los Lobos uh, were on the soundtrack to uh, Desperado, and they've done a lot of work with uh, Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. 
Oh shit, what was my thing? Oh yeah, they appeared uh, Mark, you're going to have to cut this <laughs> They appeared in the uh, Sopranos Their track Viking was used in the Sopranos in 1999 Which so, I've never seen by the way You've never seen the Sopranos? No Holy shit, you know, are in for such that, a treat man. The thing is, that's the point It's like, when do I do it? Yeah, when do, do you, when do you treat yourself to that? Really good um, Wait until I break a leg or something yeah. Wait until you have a lot of pasta to use because every time you watch the Sopranos you go I really want some fucking pasta and a glass of red wine and also you also feel like you become a bad man because you want to start swearing and being violent Mm -hmm. and yeah being misogynistic so far tonight I've sworn profusely and had pasta oh now you just have to be misogynistic and violent well so he already is so I mean anyway the sub- celebs he's kind of misogynistic the Sopranos uh, obviously featured loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of guest stars one of which was um, the pop star Lady Gaga way before her pop career kicked off she was a bit part I think she was a friend of the daughter I can't remember. It's been ages since I watched The Sopranos, but um, uh, I the daughter in Sopranos. Uh, Alicia Witt was no, no, she no, was Alicia the, Witt was a was pal, the pal, mm. single hottest woman in history. Yeah, she was a very attractive woman, but that's there's the misogyny right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> oh, but by the way, Lady Gaga currently backpedaling like a motherfucker oh, wow. after her Kelly video. Collab. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what I'll do is I'll just show you this video. It is. Dave Grohl and Lady Gaga at a party. Chug beer and have a Jägermeister. That's a video on YouTube. Oh God! Wow. So that's my. That next was a jackpot when you nice. typed in Dave Grohl, Lady Gaga, wasn't it? <laughs> Just oh, top one. Thanks very much. Uh, so there you are. That's very good. Thanks. Uh, so mine is via Gilby Clark. Um, the album was recorded in Gilby Clark's kitchen. Who was in Guns N' Roses? In Guns, the guitarist in Guns N' Roses. Who replaced Izzy Stradlin? And, and I think he's on some songs after for destruction. I well. remember watching an interview with uh, Izzy Stradlin, and he he woke up and he couldn't move because his, his he was like in so much pain, and he thought this is literally the worst hangover I've ever had in my life. Oh, I can't move. I'm in so much pain. And it turned out his pancreas had burst. <laughs> <laughs> Just burst. His pancreas had burst. The eighties, man. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine. Um, Bursting your pancreas. <laughs> Arguably, I think the best version of Guns N' Roses as a live band was with Gilby Clark in them, but it's a different conversation for a different day because I know we don't like them, Chris. Yeah, I think in a few decades we'll have the best version of Guns N' Roses when they're dead. <laughs> so Gilby Clark was part of a reality TV show and band called Rockstar Supernova. <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's getting good. Uh, which was a TV show in which he, Tommy Lee and Jason Newstead held a singing contest a reality TV singing contest to find a singer for their new project, Rockstar Supernova. See, I don't mind Jason Newstead, but the rest of those guys can fucking fall off a bridge. And the record was released by... The record was was co-written by F. Butch Walker and uh, another guy who I'll talk about next week. Um, in my nexus next week. All right. Wow. 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 Hey, Tommy, no Tommy, spoilers. Tommy Lee uh, was in Motley Crue, obviously. He also, uh, he also did a side project in the early 2000s. Called Methods of Mayhem. Oh, I remember that. Oh, them. well, I Dave, you truly must have, remember Methods yeah. of Mayhem. You, you must have played that. They club were somewhere. awful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's uh, like you must have played them I kind of forgot about them I might check them out See if there's a banger in there <laughs> I played uh, Crazy Town the other night I'll bet you did Oh god I went down a fucking Are they cake. not getting done For sexual harassment as well as well? Oh, no guys, he's the beating guys his wife, wife Yeah he's a wife beater Yeah yes. It's good Dave Shifty Shell Shock Shifty Shell Shock Are you trying to tell me A man called Shifty Shell Shock <laughs> Cannot be trusted Who wears, who wears a wife beater <laughs> <laughs> um, Based on the Methods of Mayhem Second record Called Public Service Announcement was handled by Chris Cheney, who is the current bass player in Jane's Addiction. And Jane's Addiction, he's doing shit. A, he, see, he's doing a big long one here. I know, yeah. I know. But uh, can I just reiterate Jane's Addiction? Are shit. Yes. So shit. Oh, I didn't mind that one song that came out like when they reformed. We can't say that was all right. It, it, maybe it just reminds me of being young, though. We've named yeah. Soul Asylum and Jane's Addiction two of the worst things that happened <laughs> in that era. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no, this, uh, that album, aside from Chris Cheney, it also features Skrillex on keyboards, uh, Deadmau5, also gives uh, some sampling duties, Chad Kroger on backing vocals. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> How does he do backing vocals? And of course, Chad Kroger was in Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Derek Webley from Sum 41 and Chino Marino. Whoa, is that... Th- 
that must have been before Avril. Yeah. Or they mustn't have been in the same room. Yeah. Oh, that's are they custard cousins, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that a thing? Custard you mean, cousins. You mean <laughs> <laughs> custard cousins is of course a thing. It's this where you you're related to somebody who has had relations with someone that you, Eskimo brothers. You've also had relations custard with. cousins. Custard is. cousins, Mark. Eskimo brothers. I've got some interest in custard cousins. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. Uh, so Chris Cheney was also in. Alanis Morissette's band at the exact same time as Taylor Hawkins. Shit. Oh, but but can we just backpedal a second as well and say Chino Moreno was on an album featuring some really horrendous sh- people. Sh- people. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So what record was that, sorry? It's called uh, Public Disservice Announcement. That's their second record? Yeah. When did that come out? 2002. It, by the way, so it, it came out the exact same year that the Bronx got signed to a major label. <laughs> if, if ever you wanted like a single example of why Deftones should have tried not to be affiliated with the new metal scene there it is yeah look at some of that company mm-hmm. that's bogging yeah, it's pretty bad yeah uh, but yes that is uh that is the the, the next is also chris cheney appears on taylor hawkins solo record oh yeah and taylor hawkins is in foo fighters and so dave Grohl. Uh, plays out for us That was quite a journey, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, that is also expanding to consume the episode. Yes. <laughs> made that point. Um, right, so first Bronx album, gain it a wee bit uh, thorough going over. Yeah. One of the best starts to... Any uh, record ever. Well, maybe not go that far, but certainly <laughs> one of the best starts to a punk rock album that I've heard. Yeah. Smashing into yeah. public disservice. Sorry, it came out in 2010. <laughs> 2010. Mark, your research is way off. I thought 2002. No, 2010. They split up after the first record, and then in 2002. Oh, okay. And it, or no, in 2000, and then got back together again ten years later for this was, record because there was a oh, demand okay. for it. <laughs> so wait a minute. So Chino Moreno agreed to that in 2010. So 2010. That means Derek Wibley was definitely. In the same room as Chad Kroger, while Chad well, Kroger maybe they was just doing the same room. They probably phoned that shit in. That was probably one of the preconditions. My God. <laughs> That's, by the wow. way. It's a, it sounds like a hideous record. Way, I'm pretty sure it is a hideous record. Avril Lavigne's taste in men. Wow, it's very Canadian. Very Canadian, I know. She's <laughs> she's keeping it local. <laughs> Sorry, anyway, so the Bronx. What about that opening track? That's a beast. Yeah, uh, it's a fucking... Heart, heart Attack American. Heart Attack American. It is... I would probably say it's one of my favourite songs ever. Favourite punk songs ever, for sure. It's just got so much energy. It's urgent. Very urgent. The riff is legendary at the start as well. Mm. I mean, it sounds like a band just in full fucking flow. They're just like trying to get to the end of the song as fast as possible, but doing it correctly. <laughs> there you go. Doing it in the That's correct a backhanded way. compliment I've ever yeah. heard one. No, I mean, it's like super simple, really mm. catchy, and does that really Bronxy thing of dropping down one note a lot so they do that a lot yeah. in this album and it works really well yeah. but it's really really simple it's like uh, we've spoken about it before it's about doing taking that one thing that is simple that you know how to do and doing it really fucking well yeah no, agreed. It's a beast. Um, I think as well, it's really savvy. I mean, this this album's what, 29 minutes long? Mm-hmm. 10, uh, 10 tracks for a punk record. It's perfect. Yep. It's just such a nice length, like Absolutely. digestible, mm-hmm. enough that you can go back and get into it, but it doesn't ever overstay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they made a really good choice with False Alarm, the second tune, by going for something that's very different from the first one. Because the Bronx do have a lot of tracks that are Samey-ish Yeah You know that They they, sure. they have a thing That they do And they, they do it well But mm. it makes sense To space those out And they, do, they there are a few In this album That are interchangeable But mm. they space them out Reasonably well False alarm With that kind of uh, Bass intro the Really really Interesting structure As well um, Decent amount of variation In it And it's I don't know It's, it's just a much more uh, Innovative mm. Approach 
and they're very like early on they're avoiding that pigeonholing thing yeah straight straight off the bat I think it's pretty clear that even though they they, they like that kind of simplicity of like 60s rock and like 80s hardcore they know how to like change the parts up in interesting ways which is a really it's not an obvious thing to people to, to a lot of songwriters you know taking that one thing and seeing how you can look at it from different angles like the constraints kind of become their own yeah I think they I think they distilled I don't know like an essence very purely on this record uh, that a lot of a lot of bands then sort of tried to you know recreate and never quite got there or like for instance Every Time I Die who are kind of contemporaries the Bronx maybe pushed them to do different things or also influenced them and then I don't know like Cancer Bats just basically are the Bronx but heavier yeah heavier I think like this is the Cancer Bats is they're a band that gets brought up fairly frequently mm-hmm. when you discuss the Bronx but I mean there is something a lot more convergy about them like they're yeah. A- yeah they're like the metal version But they've taken a huge amount from the Bronx. It's like they've listened more to Black Sabbath than, than the Bronx have. So where the Bronx may have listened to the Studies, Cancer Bats have clearly listened like to they've Black listened Sabbath. a bit more to like metal, metal. I mean, like more but like they've got a lot of Black Sabbath riffs. I mean, they, they do have a, they do occasionally perform as Black Sabbath and they, they have Black Sabbath covers. So first ever Bronx single, Bats. Yeah, before the first no. album, Bats. Sorry, it's got an exclamation there, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> but I mean, see, see, considering how few moving parts there are in the Bronx, and I don't just mean in the sense of the four four members in this one, isn't it? Yeah, and four on this record. Five yeah. afterwards. I, I don't just mean in terms of the members, but I mean in terms of the, the simplicity of the music. It's a lot of power chords. Uh, the, the beats are quite straightforward. Not always obvious, but mm-hmm. straightforward. So there's not a lot of variables to work with, but they seem to have made very good use of of very simple building blocks in these songs and that's to their credit you know it is that cliche about how difficult it is to do something so simple well and Mm. make it relevant and yeah I mean this is definitely a a good example of that White Tower track I think the build up to the chorus in the song is pretty awesome Um, and the bridge not the bridge but the bit with this when it kind of drops out and it just lingers on that scream and then goes back into the chorus it's a really effective thing we used to do a couple of times in this record but first time I hear that on the record every single time it gives me chills With White Tart, I think it's decent. The lyrics really jar me. Like, I got cancer looking for the answer or mm. something. It's really like the kind of thing you'd have written in your. Yeah, di- like, diary. this is the. <laughs> Like this track, they sound like they're angry, but without a cause, kind yeah. of. They're just like. It's. I'm glad that came after False Alarm because I think if this had been the second one, I would be like, oh, it started well. It's kind of. It's. It's fine. It's. Mm. It's the Bronx being the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Um. Luckily, they bring in. Uh, was it Cobra Luce? Yeah, Cobra Luce is really good. Yeah, it's just fucking rock and roll. Riffs and riffs, man. Yeah, and, and really, really catchy. This lots one. of good details in it as well. Like the wee drum fill at 1 minute 10 and then the bass break at one thirty two as well with both those bits like break up the kind of structure of the song. Otherwise, it would have just been like two and a half minutes of the same thing repeating. Yeah. And I think that's that's what they do quite a lot in this record really well is like they've got a really good attention to detail. Again, being somebody that loves punk rock music and, and has played in punk bands, like it's really easy to just go. Oh, I've got a really good, really good riff, got a really good hook. Let's just do it. Then that's it. But I think adding in small, just different little bits, which show you you've thought a little bit more about it. It can be quite hard to do, and it's not immediately obvious to a lot of musicians. And that I'm at, and I include lots of bands I really like in that as well. Mm. Um, I'm a big fan of the fifth track. They will kill us all. Brackets without mercy. That was a single, and it's got a really weird video. But 
is yeah that's probably I haven't actually seen the video for it but it's the chorus and that the gang chant so which good. is yeah. really good yeah. mm-hmm. love a gang chant it's yeah. it's like you can imagine when you hear that song the live show I've not seen the Bronx live mm-hmm. you, you have but that is one that because of the gang chant nature of that chorus it's mm-hmm. like you can totally see it going over well uh, track 6 I Got Chills that's one of the most memorable on this for me Yeah, such a sharp song in it, but it's really, really great. Yeah, I mean, even just the fact, you know, the, the naming of the track after the hook is, a, you know, stick-on, memorable feature. Um, it sounds like they're going to uh, just implode at any moment in that song. It sounds like it's about to fall off the rails, but it doesn't. I think this would probably have been, when they were sequencing this album as well, I think this would probably have been a candidate for the first track because of how well it, it comes in. Mm-hmm. I know, obviously, Heart Attack American was a great choice. But I do think this would have been a contender on, well, certainly on other bands' albums, mm-hmm. this would have been a fine opening song. I really love the, the directness of the verse, but then the fact that the chorus is just a bit choppier. Um, it's also got like a, a solo in it. You know, it's got like a kind of very Stooges yeah. style solo, which I think is one of those points when you're trying to think about why does this band leave me with this impression? This is one of the moments, whether you realise it or not, where they hearken back to somebody like the Stooges. Um, and I think that it, little touches like that, even if it's just once or twice in a full record, help differentiate the Bronx mm-hmm. from a lot of other punk yeah. bands. Again, it's that attention to detail. And then after that, it's Gun Without Bullets. Gun Without Bullets. Um, Interesting beating that one. Yeah. I think that I thought the, I think the vocals are really good in it as well. Yeah, they do that uh, yeah. thing, like they drop one note thing mm. that they do all the time, and I, I like it. I think it's a really good technique, but it's very Bronx. I think the only thing with this song is because that beat is so interesting at the start; it, it straightens out. But it would have been quite nice to hear that persevere. Yeah, more. keep going. Yeah, on that wonky. But then, then, it would, then they'd be every time I die. Mm, maybe if they did that. True. Um, true. Notes of eviction. I, I think this should have been a single. It's a really, really good song. It kind of foreshadows strobe life a little bit because it's, it's a bit more downbeat, a bit slower. Mm-hmm. Um, it's subtly different side of the band. It's like a bit more stoppy starty and it's got that minor vibe to it. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's more angsty punk. It's yeah. got a bit more of the kind of, there's a phrase for it, kind of, you know, complaint sort of rock. Mm. Yeah, I, I like it. Um, you don't want an album that's like too posy. Mm-hmm. Upbeat and happy core. Yeah. It's, it's got a nice kind of negativity to it. That it I think holds out the big riff until the end as well, which yeah. it kind of holds back that. And then it's like, by the way, we've got this too. Another bit that would mm-hmm. kill live, yeah. Um, Talking to killing with Kill My Friends, number nine. Kind of probably the most throwaway track in the record. Yeah, it's it's one of those tracks like I was saying about the first tune. It's it's the Bronx. Mm. It, it sounds like the Bronx, like a like it could have been on any album. Yeah. It doesn't sound out of place. I mean, the album isn't over long, mm-hmm. and so maybe just one more injection of that direct, fast-paced stuff is yeah. actually well considered. Yeah, and it also it's one that live is going to really work because mm-hmm. it's just like caught that energy. Yeah, you know, I, I, there's a couple of tracks on this album that you're like, 
I would rather be in the pit for this mm-hmm. than, you know, I don't need to listen to this right now. I just want to fucking jump, get sweaty. Jump around. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also, you're talking about subtle touches. It's got a nice wee kind of drum overlap later on in that song that lets the drummer kind of cut loose a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little bit more varied the way it syncopates with the line. That's, that's pretty cool. And the last track, track 10, Strobe Life, it's like a really standout song and it's yeah. good that they put something this different and this memorable to bookend the album because the album starts so well it has to end well This is the song where they sound the most in their career like at the drive-in Yeah definitely It's got a much more plaintive vibe Mm about it it's, it seems more uh again a little bit more downbeat not not in terms of energy but in terms of mood mm. um but it's yeah it's got it's got a little bit more substance to it yeah um and is seems like an ingredient that would otherwise have been missing and you maybe don't know that it's missing until you hear it mm. but i think it's probably just by being there added a bit of longevity to the album overall it's funny i read a, a review of this album from a website called Shaking Through that was done at the time uh, and it's just got a bunch of 2003 reviews here that I've found archived and the guy gave this record a fairly shit review because he's like he said the whole album is too straightforward there may there may be enough talent deep down inside this ferocious foursome to eventually eventually emulate the art punk sweep of At The Mm Drive-In or who knows even the muddy prog punk of the Mars Volta Uh, but this album does little to fan such hopes I don't think they're trying to be the fucking Mars Volta. <laughs> yeah. But, the, you know, the last track, I think you can see that they are sort of getting a bit more expensive, but this guy's got the total wrong end of the stick here. It's kind of, it's kind of like a it's, it's kind of like a depressing feature of some journalism anyway. It's that people are so enamoured and entrenched with what's in vogue at that time. Yeah, they can see... Like, oh, this band aren't doing a very good exa- uh, job of copying what's around right now. And you're like, mate, they're not trying to do mm-hmm. a job of copying what's around. I mean, yes, this track has moments of that to drive in. I think the, the snare roll bit in the middle especially is totally different from anything else that's on here. And is something that would sit well on Relationship Command. But I don't think this is a band for a minute that fancied cashing in on that market. Yeah. No, it was a totally different it thing. Seem They're like a punk it. band. Yeah, I mean, fuck that guy. The end of it as well. With the, the Joke's vocal. on him, by the way. Well, the, the interesting thing is that he gave a much better review uh, a month before to Permission to Land by The Darkness. So, you know, <laughs> a man of taste. Is that why you're following him? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you get many arguments in terms of this being a really good album, and I don't think you'd get many arguments in terms of this being their well, not from this room in terms of this being their best album. I, I suspect some people might disagree mm-hmm. uh, in terms of online. I mean, as I said, the only one that comes close to me is number three, mm-hmm. but then again, it seems like number two is a really popular record based on the sort of critical response. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's got to be this one though. As far as to I'm be, concerned. yeah. Yeah, it's one of my favourite records ever. And the artwork's fucking great the as well. The artwork is great, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I read an interview with him where he was getting asked a bunch of, like, sort of vaguely interesting questions and he just kept turning the conversation back to, like, I drew this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, man, all right. Well, the interview with Matt, um, I think it's one of the Rank Your Records. Um, I think it was with Noisy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he did the exact opposite of that sort of Biffy Clyro choose your latest record and you know disown your the first stuff you know he put this as his number one and he was like this is when we were a band this is when we had the energy this defines what the bronx is i fucking loved it then and i love it now thank goodness for that as and well, it's like see reading those lists and then people are like i think my the latest album it's uh, really us uh, most expensive uh, and uh, yeah oh yeah fuck off i man. mean seriously i mean you must see yourself afterwards and just be like what have I done with my life? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good call on their part. What did they put second? Uh, they did uh, th- two. Oh no, it's, it's the second Mariachi El Bronx. <laughs> it was one, then Mariachi El Bronx two, then it was four, then uh, Mariachi El Bronx one. So yeah, let's let's put this up for the vote, but mm-hmm. we all think it should be in there. Yeah, yeah I think it's a great record. I'd be, I'd be disappointed if it didn't get in. Because I don't think any other record there is is kind of worthy of being in the discography. 
Would you be as disappointed as Theresa May after getting a 230 vote scalping? Um, yes. Do you know, <laughs> while, we've been yes. Record, while we've been recording this show, uh, in the background, her government scraped through to survive by something like 19 votes. So much confidence. So the, the Great British Force continues, continues for, yeah, another, for another week. Another week. Uh, well, thank you very much for listening to my pick, gentlemen. Um, and I'm glad you both liked it. Mm-hmm. Care to tell us Anytime. what we're going to do next week, David? Because I believe it's your choice. Oh yeah, so next week uh, we're going for shells. And, uh, Can you spell that? Because this is, a- it is uh, asterisk S-H-E-L-S. Asterisk one L. S-H-E-L-S. Yeah. So for anybody that's curious. So it comes from the name of an EP from a previous band. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. We'll get to that. We'll talk about it. So it's, it's, what was the record called again? Uh, sea of the Dying Dow. Sea of the Dying Dow. Yeah, cool. Great. Excited so, for it. Yeah, go vote on our Facebook page. Thank you very much for listening. And and if you hear any small farting noises throughout this uh, <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. recording, then we apologise, but it's none of our diets. We're getting some weird interference. Yeah, like, let's put that disclaimer in there. That this is not <laughs> yeah. actual farting. It, there's some kind of weird interference happening, and I'm going to have to try and edit it out. But if I'm unsuccessful or if I just get fed up... I think it's happening right now. You can right leave now. this yeah. in as uh, an, example. an example of what it sounds like. Should okay. we go quiet for a moment? Oh, nah, there you go. <laughs> Fucks off. Anyway. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>